Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, if this is your first time, we are so glad that you joined us. And I, I do just have one thing to, uh, one very key date to let everybody know that will affect everyone in this room. Um, next Sunday is the Arlington County Fair. Now, why that is incredibly relevant to this church is because the Arlington County Fair is here <laughs> next Sunday on the entire grounds, and so we will not have church this coming Sunday, August the 11th. If you show up and you forget, you're going to get the Arlington County Fair, and that, depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, that might be like a good thing or not so good thing compared to church, but anyway, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, we encourage you. It's a great week to catch up. If you're behind on, uh, on some sermons, you can go to our website or podcast and, and download those uh, totally for free. And, uh, you know, or just, just take the time to, to sleep in and spend some personal time with God and with family next week. So, um, now that that's out of the way, if you are here for the first time or the first time in a long time, we want to say um, welcome. And we are in week three of a series called Lessons in Leadership, where we are looking at a highly effective leader whose name was Nehemiah. This guy, Nehemiah, lived in the Middle East region 2,500 years ago. And uh, the reason that we're talking about him is because he wrote a memoir that was actually preserved in the Old Testament of the Bible. And so basically his memoir details just many different lessons in leadership, and we are trekking through those each and every week. We started two weeks ago by talking about how great leaders are fueled or let problems fuel their fire. Great leaders let problems fuel their fire, and how Nehemiah was fueled by this problem his beloved city of Jerusalem, where his ancestors were from, it had been ransacked, and he thought it was getting rebuilt, but it wasn't. And when he found out this news, even though he was 700-some miles away, it wrecked him, and he had this fire about it, and he took this thing straight to God, and God basically told him, listen, you're, you're going to be the one that's going to champion this cause of rebuilding the great wall around the city of Jerusalem. And so he went to the king. Nehemiah was the cupbearer, to the king of the whole Persian Empire that controlled the whole region. And we talked last week about how great leaders understand the power of the personal ask and how when you think of it through what Jesus taught us about it's more blessed to give than to receive, that actually when, when a leader asks someone, gives them an opportunity to, uh, to do something, it's actually an opportunity for them to be blessed. And so the power of the personal ask is that you're actually giving someone an opportunity to participate and to be blessed in what you're doing. So, so Nehemiah goes before the king, and he makes these bold requests, and the king's like, fine, you can go. And the king even agrees to help fund the project, which is pretty amazing. And so now we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, where Nehemiah is on his way. He's leaving, which was modern-day Iran, doing this huge journey. That's where we're starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Nehemiah writes, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, which was probably just long enough for him to get settled and catch up with family and stuff like that, I set out during the night with a few others. I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So it's very stealth mode. He's out at night, hasn't told anybody yet what he's doing. He says, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there wasn't enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night 
examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who'd be doing the work. Now, this is a very strategic leadership move that Nehemiah makes here. He knows that he's on a mission to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But before he's going to tell anybody, before he's going to rally the troops or cast any sort of vision, he wants to know exactly what he's getting himself into. So he does a full assessment of the wall. No surprises. I want to see it firsthand. And then I'm going to rally the troops. Now, the reason that he was going in the dead of the night with just a couple people is he didn't want to draw any attention to what was about to happen. Think about it. The fact that Jerusalem was rebuilding its walls would be a threat to all the neighboring tribes and people groups. And so Nehemiah didn't want to tip their hand any sooner than he had to. So that's why he was doing this at night. So then Nehemiah writes, Then I said to them, and them refers back to the priests, the nobles, the officials, the others who'd be doing the work. So basically he gathers all the key stakeholders in Jerusalem together. He calls this big meeting. And he writes, he says, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. Then Nehemiah says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. You know what's so odd to me about that at first read? like, <laughs> Oh, the wall's broken down? Oh, Nehemiah, okay, cool. Let's get to work. Okay, cool, let's, let's do it. Does that, does that strike you as funny? Like, what in the world was stopping them from rebuilding the wall before Nehemiah showed up? What was it that was getting in the way of them actually doing something about it before? This wasn't news to them. This is their city. This is their problem. Well, here's what was stopping them. They lacked a leader with a vision of the way things could be. That's what was stopping them, a leader who could cast a vision of how things could be. If you want to write this in, this is the takeaway from today. Great leaders leverage the power of vision. Let me give you a working definition of vision. Why is vision so powerful? What is vision? Vision is a picture in your mind's eye. It's a mental picture of the way things could be or the way things should be. So, You're helping someone to envision something, even though it's not like that right now. Wow, look at what it could be if only we could get there. Vision is the thing that rallies people. Vision is the thing that gets everybody fired up. You get that picture in people's minds. That's what gets everybody on the same page. That's what gets people moving in the direction where you as the leader want them to go or that everybody senses that God wants to take them. That is vision. And great leaders leverage the power of vision. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. So you got to remember, he's writing, this is a memoir we're looking at. He's looking back on his life and he sums up what was probably just a meeting that lasted hours and hours and hours with all the key stakeholders. And he sums it up in like three sentences. But basically what's happening is if you envision what was going on in that meeting, Nehemiah comes in and says, look, we all know that, that the walls are broken down. The city's a disgrace. It's a mess. We all know that. Guys, listen, I've traveled 750 miles to get here. And 
I just want to let you know that God's hand is all over this thing already. We haven't even started, but listen to this. The king of the Persian Empire, right? The, the, the Persians were in control of the whole region, including, including Jerusalem. He said, the king's hand, like God's favor is with us. Because I was a servant to the king, and I asked the king if we could go, and not even that. Not only did the king give me permission, but the king is actually help, helping to fund this project. He's supplying all the wood. That is amazing, amazing stuff. He says, so guys, come on, let's rebuild this wall. But here, and here's where the vision comes in. He says, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. What he's doing there is, he, is he's making an appeal to them. He's basically saying this, listen guys, Jerusalem we're supposed to be this great city. We're supposed to be God's chosen people, the Jewish people. We're supposed to be set apart by God. We're supposed to be this city on a hill, this light that would shine to all nations so that all nations would come to know who God is. And look at us, we're in total disgrace. Let's restore our great city to its former glory. And he casts this vision, and that's what great leaders do. They leverage this power of vision. And all the people are like, yes, let's do it. Let's get after it. And they started work on the wall. So here's the question that I have for each of you this morning. With the people that you lead, and maybe you're not in a, any sort of a formal leadership position. So let me say it this way. With the people that are in your circle of influence in your life, your work, school, relationships, whatever. Every single one of us has influence, so we're all leaders whether we choose to recognize it or not. With the people in your circle of influence, with the people you lead, are you leveraging the power of vision? Are you painting a compelling picture of how things could be or how things should be? Are there things that are going on in your workplace, in your school, in your life, in relationships, and they're just not where you want them to be? You're not satisfied. Do you have a vision for how things could be better? Can you, can you come up with a picture in your mind of how things could be? Have you asked God to give you, first of all, you as the leader, as the individual, God, give me a vision for this thing, and then help me to share that vision because vision is the thing that rallies people. Vision is so, so powerful. It's one of the most potent weapons in a leader's arsenal. Great leaders leverage the power of vision. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning talking about the vision of this church. I would be willing to say that just about every single one of you has heard our vision before because our, our tagline is fairly prominently displayed, and that is, Grace is a church for people who what? Don't go to church. That tagline is much more than a tagline. It's also our vision. It's to be a church for people who don't go to church. Now, you might be saying, yeah, that's cool. I remember hearing that tagline, and it intrigued me. And maybe that's part of the reason why you're even here this morning is because there was something about that that, that you were like, yeah, I like that. I, but maybe there's another part of it that's like, but what exactly does that mean anyway? Like a church, people who don't go to church, like if I'm here, then I'm at church, so I don't, how do I not go anymore, and how does that work? How, can you, how does that whole deal go, Okay. So that's what we want to unpack a little bit. Essentially, what it means is to be a church that unchurched people love to come to. 
To be a church that people who don't go to church would say, man, that was cool. I'm coming back here. It would be a church that is so inviting and so welcoming. And then the services and the programs and the different things that the church offers would be so compelling and so relevant to life and so engaging, just flat out helpful and practical, that people who don't go to church, in fact, people who say, you know what, I don't know who, you know, I don't know that I fully understand this Christianity thing or that I don't, I don't know that I fully understand who Jesus is and I'm just trying to figure all that out. But they would say, hey, I don't know that I get it, but you know what? This was pretty cool. Like, this was helpful to me. And I think I'm going to come back next week. That's ultimately what it means to be a church for people who don't go to church. That's our vision. And that vision drives everything that we do around here at Grace. So when you drive in from the street into the parking lot, at TJ here, to come for a Sunday morning service. And you see those guys in orange vests that are helping you to, you know, make sure, okay, cool, I know that I'm here and all that good stuff. Okay, they're out there because we are a church for people who don't go to church, okay? If, if we're just a church for the churched people, we don't have those guys out in the parking lot. You know why? Because churched people, they don't need those guys in the vests, okay? You guys are smarter than that. No, I'm just kidding. It's not because you're smarter, but... It's because if you have trouble trying to figure out exactly where you're going, you're not sure where the entrance is, or maybe you have trouble initially finding a parking space or the lot is just jammed, you'll circle. If you're a church person, you'll circle around. You'll figure it out. You'll persevere, and you'll walk the extra bit of time, and you'll get here, right? That's, that's what you'll do as a church person. Because ultimately, you're coming because you're here to worship God, and you love Jesus, and that's what it's all about for you. But the person who doesn't go to church, what happens for them as they start to circle and they're wondering, how do I get in here and, and all that kind of stuff? You know what they do? I, I don't know. I mean, what am I even doing? I'm, I don't even go to church. Maybe this is a sign that I'm not supposed to go to church. I mean, you laugh, but that's actually what goes through people's minds. Then maybe it's gone through your mind at some point, and that's part of why you're laughing. So here's the thing, and I've tried to give you guys a little visual on this. To be a church for church people, here's the bar, okay? I don't know if any of you guys are like high jumpers or anything like that, but this is actually not that hard to get, to get over. Um, because to be a church for church people, as long as there's some parking somewhere in the vicinity, and as long as like, you know, the door's unlocked and you can get into the auditorium, and as long as they're actually, you know, doing something out of the Bible, you're good, right? I mean, you're here, you're here because you love God, and that's, that's your primary driving force. But if you're called to be a church for people who don't go to church, the bar is much, much, much higher. The challenge, the stakes are much greater. You know, when you come in and you see those greeters that are... Um, outside and then also in the lobby and we've got our newcomers area and our hospitality area with the coffee and all that stuff that's like our whole first impressions area you know none of those people are there for the churched people i hate to tell you this but that's not why they're all there see because church people actually don't need that we're pretty comfortable with church we know how to figure it out we'll get there but for someone who doesn't go to church they're walking in and there's tremendous apprehension 
there's all sorts of emotions and feelings and thoughts going through that person's mind. And it's like, okay, first of all, they helped me to find a parking space. I knew I was in the right location. And then as I was coming, I was like, wow, you know, these people are, are really nice. I mean, I still don't know if it's like a cult or something because it meets in a school and that's weird. But, <laughs> but they were really, not, like people genuinely seemed like they were welcoming me in and that they were happy that I was here. And then, you know what the bonus was? They had like coffee and free food over at, that, over at that hospitality area. And that was really cool. Because you know what we figured out and why the, the bar is, is, is so high if we're trying to be a church, people who don't go to church? We found out that if someone who doesn't go to church, they're, they're coming for the first time. They definitely don't want to walk in late because you never know what's going to happen if you walk in late to a new church. They might stand you up front. Well, I mean, who knows what could happen? So you're coming on time. You're making sure you know where to get. And then you find yourself kind of hanging out in the lobby right? And you're trying to figure out what, what you're going to do to pass the time. Well, instantly, we figured out that what helps people feel so safe and secure is you give them something to eat and give them something to drink. And instantly, what does that do? It takes the edge off. So now, if I'm a non-church person, from the, from the parking lot all the way to getting a hot drink and something to eat in my hand, I'm thinking, man, this isn't so bad. And I haven't even stepped foot in the auditorium yet. I came in kind of with one foot in and one foot thinking I'm going to head back out the door. And now I'm like, oh, I, I, think, I think this could be all right. So none of that stuff that, that we set up out there is actually for church people. Now, don't hear me wrong, okay? Everyone is welcome to have that, and we love to see everybody. So I don't want you to think, oh, I'm a church person. I, they said I can't eat that, I can't drink that. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's for everyone, but strategically, it's set up there to achieve a vision, to be a church for people who don't go to church because that's something that helps the unchurched person feel comfortable and welcome before they've even set foot in the service. Now, in terms of what we do on stage with music and with sermons, we try really hard with our music team. When they're doing a new song, they try and explain the meaning of that new song. They, they, they try and give background and explain how certain things are relevant so that everyone, no matter where they are in their journey, would be able to see, oh, here's why we're singing that song. Here's why that song is relevant. And when we do sermons up here, we don't just assume that everybody knows what, who Nehemiah was. That's not, I mean, if we were a church for people who go to church, that's fine. The bar is a little bit lower then, you see? But the challenge is, in speaking, is to give that little bit of background, you know, and to make sure that we're, we're never just assuming people understand or they come from a certain background because you know what we do? We just lose people. And you've been in an environment like this before. You've been in some setting where you weren't familiar with the process or the routine, right? And you came in and no one explained it to you and everyone was just doing something except for you and maybe a few other people. And how does that make you feel? Instantly, what goes through your mind is this. You know, I don't know if I'm welcome here. I don't know if this is the place for me. I don't think I fit in here. So our vision to be a church for people who don't go to church, it drives us to, to constantly be thinking about how does the person who doesn't have church background, doesn't understand, how do we explain stuff like communion to them? And just giving general introductions to a sermon series or whatever. So... All of these things, even desperately trying, we don't always achieve it, but desperately trying to finish in one hour. If you're a church person, you have the unchurched person to thank for that. 
Because we don't do it for the church person. Because you love Jesus if you're a church person. And you should be here all day. Hands up. Woo! Bring, keep it coming. Are you, uh, one hour, that's it? Right? That's not for church people why we try and get out on time. But why do we do it? Because for the unchurched person, they need to feel safe and secure. Like, okay, it's an hour. I can handle that. Okay, now I'll come back next week. We'd rather that you leave kind of thirsting for more than feeling like you got too much. So, yeah, you've got to thank some of those unchurched people if you're, if you're a church person. So our vision to be a church for people who don't go to church, it drives everything we do and how we evaluate things around here. Now, what fuels that vision is Jesus Christ. If you look at Jesus and you look at the accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four Gospels in the New Testament. What you see is, yes, Jesus spent time in some religious settings and circles. He spent time teaching in the synagogue and hanging out with some of the religious leaders. But by far and away, the vast majority of his time was not spent in religious settings, was it? Jesus was always out on the street. He was always out with the people who who were far from God, the sinners in the eyes of God of the religious. That's where Jesus was. That's what Jesus was about. And so as we study Jesus and we think about who Jesus was, what we realize is that if Jesus was going to start a church, we feel like it probably would have been a church for people who don't go to church. He would have positioned it that way. He tells three parables that are recorded in the gospel of Luke. And it's in chapter 15. Three parables, and this is unprecedented in the Bible, three parables to make the exact same point. It's the only time he does this. And those three parables are the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. And we don't have time to go into all three of those parables, but let me tell you, the main point of all three of those parables was this. Jesus is saying, imagine if you have a whole bunch of something, and one of those things goes missing. What do you do? Are you all about the ones that you say, oh, I'm so glad that these are here. I've got these. No, you run with all you have after that one. And you search and seek that one out until you find it, whether it's a coin, a sheep, or a son. He said, that's God's heart for those who are far from him. And so as we've studied Jesus and his teachings and who Jesus is, We've come to believe that Jesus wants us as a church to be a church for people who don't go to church because that seemed to be what Jesus was all about. Now, if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a churched person, okay, I'm a churched person, so it's cool if you are, it's all right. Um, if you consider yourself a church person, what may be flashing through your mind at this point is, hey, you know, that's all well and good, and I get the, all the stuff about Jesus, and I understand that like hardly anyone in Arlington County goes to church, and so that's kind of a cool way to position the church, and Jesus is all about people far from God, and I get all that, and that's so cool in this vision to be a church for people who don't go to church. That's great. But I'm a church person, so what does that mean for me? I mean, is this just a church for people who are trying to figure it out and have a whole bunch of questions? Is this just a church for people who are really new in their faith and have just a whole bunch of stuff that are like basic stuff that they're trying to work out? And then is there some point where as a church person, 
like you graduate from that and, and you have to go to, to a church that's really going to you know, get in and, and help you to really grow. Is this just a, a, a church for, for just those kind of new in their faith? And, and that, I want to address you for a minute if that's your concern and you're here this morning. And I want to distinguish between vision and mission because it's very important you catch this. Our vision is to be a church for people who don't go to church. But our mission, our mission is the mission of every single Christian church on the planet. It's not a negotiable. The mission is a broad mission that comes right from the mouth of Jesus Christ in his final words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says to them, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So if you're here and you're a church person and you're trying to figure out, okay, but that's cool, this whole vision thing, let me give you a write-in that hopefully will help you to feel a little bit better. It's, it's nice, churchy little language, so this is for you, okay? If you don't like it, don't like language, don't write it up because i got a different blank for the unchurched people, okay? Our mission is to make disciples. Now, if you're a church person, that makes you feel good. You write that in, that came right out of Scripture, you know? Jesus said it exactly that way. And that's, guess what? That truly is the mission of this church, to make disciples, to help people to come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, to understand the unbelievable depths of God's love through Jesus and what he did for us, and then to help everyone to grow in that relationship with him and to follow him and to obey him. That's our mission, to make disciples. But because our vision, now, and this is where I want to distinguish between mission and vision. Mission is the overarching general thing. It's like, okay, Our mission, we're to make disciples. But because our vision is to be a church for people who don't go to church, our vision is the unique way that God has called this church to achieve that mission. Does that make sense? Our vision is the unique way that God has called this church to meet that mission. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Think about all the different kinds of churches that exist all around the world. All of those have a unique vision that helps to accomplish the overall mission, right? So, because... Our vision is to be a church for people who don't go to church. We would never use language like, we're here to make disciples. We're in the disciple-making business, okay? That's just a turnoff to people who don't go to church. So this is how we like to say it around here. If you're an unchurched person, you can fill it in this way. Our mission is to help people grow spiritually. It's basically what Jesus is saying there. That's our mission. We still believe it comes right from Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, but... Now it's, it's something that everyone can connect with and understand. We're all about spiritual growth. That's our mission. And in fact, this is just not something that we say, but we feel so strongly about this that we look at stuff that we do, we evaluate things at Grace, and we basically say, okay, if, if, if spiritual growth isn't happening, then we're wasting our time. It has nothing to do with how many people are sitting in chairs or how many people are attending community groups or how many people come to some cool event that we do. If, if we're not seeing that, that, that stuff is happening in people's lives and people, people's lives are being impacted and they're growing and they're becoming more like Jesus, then we're wasting our time. And in fact, I've been around here for about 10 of the almost 13 years of, of Grace's existence. And I have, I have been part of numerous things that we've actually shut down 
good things that we've done for a while, and we just felt like, you know what? People liked it, but we're just not seeing that it's really helping people to grow spiritually. And so we just shut it down. It's all about spiritual growth. And so John actually preached a sermon, actually a a two-part series on this about three weeks ago. If you guys remember, it's called Designated Driver, What Drives Your Life? If you missed it, he goes through and unpacks this in two sermons about you know, basically what we're here to do, we're here to help people grow spiritually, and the four gauges of spiritual growth. I just want to hit on two. Again, this is, this is for all you who are here and you're like, but, you know, are we just sort, sort of some church light, you know, are we not really, really that worried about people really growing them in all levels of their faith? What we have found is the number one catalyst for spiritual growth, which is what we're all about, is the Bible. And being a church for people who don't go to church, we never shy away from this. In fact, this is really all we have. We believe that this is God's authoritative word to us. And every single sermon that gets preached around here comes right out of this. Now, because we're a church for people who don't go to church, we try and package things a little bit differently. And we talk about, you know, lessons in leadership with Nehemiah and designated driver, what drives your life. But basically, we are just trekking through chapter by chapter. For you church people, it's called expository preaching. Okay? That's what we do around here like 95% of the time. If you watch, if you pay attention. And this fall, we're going to jump into a relationship series. Man, and we're going right through 1 Corinthians. Okay? Is that how we market it? Is that how we, oh, guys, this fall we're going through 1 Corinthians. You're going to want to check it out. New Testament expository. We're going all the way through. No. Why not? Because we're a church for people who don't go to church. So guess what? Here's what we say. Starting September 8th, we're beginning a a relationship series. In the first three weeks of the series, it's complicated because it is. And then we're going to begin a six-week series called Messy Relationships. And you know what we're doing, though? That's just nice packaging. We're going right through 1 Corinthians. Don't tell anybody, okay? Don't tell anybody. That's what we're doing. The Bible is the number one catalyst for spiritual growth. And we found that unchurched people and people who've been in church every Sunday their entire life, everyone is looking for answers from this. And that's where we begin and end every sermon and every service. And what we found is that when you can read and reflect on the Bible and you can do it in community... You get this supercharged, catalytic effect. When you can not just hear a sermon and try and figure out how it applies to your life, but then show up with some other people that are trekking in the same direction as you, that's when things get good. When you figure out, how does this really factor into my life? What difference does this all make? And so those are just two of the four things. I don't have time to go into any more of them, but let me assure you that no matter what level of your faith you're in, how we evaluate everything that we do around here is through the lens of are we helping people to grow spiritually at all levels of their faith. Now, I could go on and on, but I'm, I, I want you guys to hear a couple of stories from some people from Grace and, and what has happened in their lives, the evidence of spiritual growth, because they'll say more in, in a four-minute testimonial than I can possibly say. So if you guys would welcome Andrew C. Houston and Laurel Edwards. They're both going to share their stories. You can give them a hand if you want. Andrew's going to kick us off. Thank you, Derek. I'm just going to dive into what I prepared for today. 
When I started coming to, to Grace, I was at a point in my life where I was spiritually and in some ways emotionally numb. I knew I wasn't good enough for God, but I also harbored a lot of pride and distrust in my heart. My girlfriend at the time enjoyed the church for people who don't go to church, so it made it easy to attend. But I was at a point in, in my life where I had functionally lost faith. I intermittently attended service for a while, and the sermons slowly began to have an effect. There was one sermon in particular about serving God before having everything about faith in God figured out. My mind continually mulled over the concept it presented. Then, one Sunday, I saw an opportunity to help in Haiti with grace, and I knew it was where I needed to practice my crippled faith. Through the Haiti trip, I came to know some amazing people who helped reshape my mental image of what it means to be a Christian. The trip leader, Tom, was one of these people. His honesty and openness about personal imperfections helped break my paradigm that Christianity equals flawlessness. God has used him to show me that my prior thought pattern of what it means to be a Christian was wrong. This had huge implications because I had given up on God for several reasons but especially because I hated failing God and I could never open up about my failings in serving him. And Tom didn't care about any of that. He openly acknowledged that he's not perfect and doesn't let these failings stop God from using him. This is something that Grace Community Church models so well. That is, serving God without a you-must-be-perfect church culture. I heard it in the sermons that are preached and from many of the people I've come to know within this community. A few months after my trip to Haiti, God continued to use grace as a catalyst in my spiritual journey. There's a sermon called Jesus to the Rescue about the storms that happen on life and the implications of pride. This sermon hit hard because it focused on major issues in my life. It also came amidst of a series of difficult events and personal suffering that were the direct result of my irreverence and distrust towards God. It was during this time that my spirit and heart truly began to break, to shatter, and people from grace were, were, were present at various tipping points and pointed to God. Concurrently, God was demanding that I submit to him. It was as if he was leading a military advance in my soul, calling me to change my course as he pointed out areas of destruction and sin in my life. He also showed me that I needed to reach out, to give up, to open up, and see the overwhelming importance and value of the people he put in my life. As a result, God has opened a spring of healing in my family and in my heart. He has given me strength to, to share and care more about those in my life. And most importantly, he has shown me that he loves me irrevocably and that I have an immutable need for him. Grace Community Church has also reflected God's grace by opening opportunities for me to serve especially because these opportunities came after the church leadership knew that I had failed in parts of my life and that I was in desperate need of grace. I stand up here today not as someone who has it all figured out, but as someone struck by immense thankfulness for all that God has done and continues to do and for all the grace I've received. I'm also grateful for how people at this church look to God to what he is able to do next in their lives and in the lives of others. Thank you.
Good morning. Um, so like Derek said, I'm Laurel Edwards, and I've been attending Grace for about two years now, and I'm hoping to give this testimony with a little more confidence than I had at the 9.30 service. Uh, so I was raised by a devout Christian mother. So growing up, going to church was not an option, but rather an expectation. Uh, our life growing up saw us go through enormous tragedies, uh, two horrific divorces, uh, the death of a sibling, a traumatic church experience, and uh, an emotionally and verbally abusive stepfather. By the time I went off to college, I was so lost in my faith and had so many questions and wounds and hurts, I wasn't really sure if I believed in God after all. My first semester was extremely challenging, and I began to slip into this deep anxiety. I was desperate to find something greater than myself to see me through my struggles and help me find peace and strength. Thankfully, like he does, God showed up. He led me to, to meet Eric, my now husband, who had a strong Christian upbringing and value system. He also led me to study abroad in Kenya, where I was immersed in an unbelievably faithful host family who helped rekindle my faith. I, I should have known it was God when the first thing my host mom said to me when we sat down was, so, Laurel, are you a Christian and will you be coming to church with me? <laughs> and I'm so thankful that, that she was there to help me kind of restore my uh, my broken heart and faith. Uh, but that was just temporary, and so it wasn't until Eric and I moved to D.C. and started to attend Grace that my faith really began to take off. What drew us here was the mission, a church for people who don't go to church, which was perfect because I'm not the kind of person that goes to church, definitely not regularly, and I've been through enough churches to know that I personally don't identify with a church that is for people who go to church. Uh, so one of the things I love about Grace is how real the sermons are. More times than not, Eric and I spend the entire car ride home talking about the sermon, what we've learned, what the challenges were that we had with it, and just kind of exploring questions about the Bible and faith. Uh, this really has allowed us to connect and grow and have conversations in a really special way that we had never had before. Uh, this was especially true during last year's relationship series. Uh, fortunately for us, it coincided with our engagement. So we were able to explore a biblical lesson in, on relationships and marriage as we were preparing ourselves uh, to make that commitment. Uh, and we're just eight days away from celebrating our first wedding anniversary, and I'm just so thankful that we were able to go through that series and really grow. I've also learned just how important the role of suffering has been in my faith journey and how God can and has and is continuing to work through my suffering. Uh, it's times of suffering that remind me that I need God and that he's there for me to need him and to lean on. And understanding this has helped heal a lot of wounds I had when I started coming here, and it's something that uh, I continue to work on as I face ongoing struggles, as we all do. Uh, I've been challenged to not only accept God's grace, which, of course, is fairly easy to do when you're in desperate need of it, but more importantly, to show it, uh, regardless of whether I think it is deserved. People who know me know how challenging this can be for me to show grace, and God is showing me that showing grace unconditionally to the people I love is something that I really can grow and improve on, and, um, and, and grace in the sermons here have really helped facilitate that. But I think most importantly, what I found here at Grace is community. Uh, Eric and I were definitely not church group, Bible study people when we started coming here, but we decided to take the plunge and join a group shortly after we got engaged. And it's been a huge blessing. Uh, having a dedicated time every week to put aside the stress of life and work and to spend time discussing the Bible and connecting with people in a way we never had before has really deepened my understanding of Christianity. 
I'm, I'm so grateful for, to have a group of people that we can bring our prayers and concerns to, and we know we'll just be embraced by prayer and love. Um, so I never thought I'd be a person who goes to church of my own accord. Definitely never expected to be up here talking. Um, and definitely never expected to have a faith that makes me really excited and makes me want to grow and learn more. But having Grace as my community here has really brought me a lot of peace and confidence as I continue my faith journey. Thank you so much, Andrew and Laurel. I think um, you said it better than I possibly could. Um, those two are just examples and evidence of what we are all about here with our vision to be a church for people who don't go to church. Um, so as we close this service, I just want to say one final thing. If you are here and you consider yourself someone who doesn't go to church, you're not a churchy kind of person, we don't always get this right, you guys. We don't always get a 10 out of 10 for hitting this vision, but we try our hardest to create a place where you would feel comfortable, that you would feel welcome, and that you would be able to grow and learn and be challenged in your faith to see who Jesus is and to be able to wrestle with that. And so we're thrilled that you're here, and we hope you feel welcome here, and we hope that you keep coming back. If you're here this morning and you consider yourself a church person, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Being a church person is actually, it's actually good. It's, it's, it's the way you're kind of supposed to. No, I shouldn't say that, but um, <laughs> um, definitely shouldn't say that. I told you we don't always get it right, so there you go. Um, but if you're a church person here, I, I, I hope that the vision to be a church for people who don't go to church, I hope that excites you. And I hope you see that in order to be a church for people who don't go to church, how much higher the bar is, how much greater the challenge is. And for me, I find that it's far more challenging and far more stretching, and I have far more opportunity to grow at a church for people who don't go to church as a church person than I do if I was attending a church for churched people. Because think about it. Who are the Andrew C. Husons and the Laurel Edwards? Who are they learning from? Who are they watching? Who are they asking questions to? Who are they dialoguing with? The churched people. The challenge is to do that in keeping with being a church for people who don't go to church, to honor and respect and to love people wherever they are but to help them to kind of see things that, and make strides that we've made, to help lovingly help them along in that journey. It's extraordinarily difficult and challenging and awesome. And sometimes some of the greatest conversations I have with people that ask the most basic questions that bring me back to the whole essence of my faith and trying to communicate that in an effective way. So I hope you see how challenging and how high this bar is set and, and the role that you as a church person play in helping us to fulfill this vision of being a church for people who don't go to church. So we're going to close out this service with a word of prayer and then I'm um, going to dismiss you. And don't forget next week, we are well, not having services. County fair, that's your thing. 
Come back for the county fair, but we will not be meeting next week. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll leave. God, thank you so much for giving us a mission here as a church to, to help every single person, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, to help them learn more about you, to help them to grow spiritually, help them to follow after you, Jesus. I thank you for that unique vision that you've given to this church, to be a church for people who don't go to church. Help us, help every single one of us in this room to see the role that we play in that vision. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, you guys. God bless. Have an awesome week. We'll see you back here again on August 18th.